Bibles. Take your Bibles now and open up to Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 17 through 24. How you guys doing? Everyone here? You guys here? You here with me? Praise the Lord. Let's do this. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, both types of demons, and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. They came back with this report of authority over demons. Jesus says, I was there when that authority was purchased. And I'm going to give you even more, and nothing shall hurt you. And I can imagine they began to elbow each other. Oh, wow! Even more rejoicing. Guaranteed came out. Why wouldn't they? Because they were rejoicing that the demons obeyed them. The demons listened. You know why this is why? You know why this would cause such rejoicing in them? Because nobody listens to you. You tell the dog what to do, dog looks at you like I ain't listening. You tell your cat what to do, that cat sure ain't listening to you. You tell your kids what to do, it becomes a negotiation. Nobody listens to you, nobody respects you, and all of a sudden these guys show up and like, the demons do whatever we say! You know, fired up! And Jesus factors all that in, tells them how it happened, tells them how good it really is, then he says this, verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, and they're wiping the smile off their face a little bit. Like, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit. Jesus gets fired up now. The Bible speaks three times of Jesus weeping. Okay, he's a man of many emotions, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We all have kind of a somber picture of Jesus. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say Jesus smiles. It doesn't ever say he smiles or laughs. This is it. This is the one place where it says he rejoiced in the spirit, which would denote smiling and laughing too, by the way. I say that because it's kind of important. Like, what's he smiling at? What, what, what fired him up? He wept when he saw chaos and devastation and rejection, pain, suffering, loss. That's all of us do. What fired Jesus up? When the Patriots lost? Is that what fired him up? Next week? I'm just kidding. Do you guys even know what I'm talking about? If you know what I'm talking about, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Shame on you. Don't rejoice in, in that. Verse 21. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit, and he said, he goes into prayer now, and we're going to pray in just a minute. He said, I thank you, Father. I just need you to know, in that day, no one referred to God as Father. Okay? It just was, it was too... It was new. We, we do it all the time. Okay? Jesus started that. Jesus brought that new insight. He's our father. He's not just God. Okay? He is. He's our father. For some of you, that's not a good thing. You're, you don't have a good relationship with your dad, or there's not a lot of great memories there, pain. Maybe you were even not the best father, whatever. Jesus says, no, no, you guys, father. Jesus sees these guys come back of the 70. Fired up, they're excited. He's excited for them. Then he reminds them, guys, you guys are, you're part of the family. You guys are part of the family. You down here doing stuff against demons? Awesome, cool, good job. Don't forget, you're part of the family. 
And Jesus now has a family moment with his father, knowing that these others, the nameless, that's us. What rejoices Jesus is this inclusion into the family. The family of God, the, the heavenly family. He says, Father, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things, what? From the wise and the prudent. The, you, you could say the arrogant, the self-centered, self-absorbed, self-reliant. Nothing wrong with being smart, okay? But the ones who, who don't need God, he says, you've hidden, you've hidden from the wise and the prudent, and you revealed them. These things, you've revealed them to babes. That is, little kiddos. That is, these nameless who have childlike faith. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father and who the Father is except the Son and the one whom the Son wills to reveal him. That's a big statement, verse 22, in his prayer. Nobody knows who I am. Nobody knows who the Father is except through my revelation. It's a big deal. Saying stuff like this will get you killed, by the way. And it did. You can't say stuff like that. It's very offensive. Jesus said right here, nobody knows God except if I reveal it to him. In other words, you can't know God unless you know Jesus. Okay, that, you'll be on the cross for saying stuff like that. You'll be ostracized. You'll be kicked. Jesus, his disciples are like, whoa, dude, put a lid on it, bro. You're going to get us killed. Verse 23. Then he turned to his disciples and he said privately, and I imagine this is kind of like a little coach's meeting with the team. All right, guys, come here. Don't, don't anybody hear this. <laughs> you know, bringing everyone in. You're looking around. It says this. Blessed are the eyes which see the things you do. For I tell you, many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. And we're going to end on that verse, but I want you to think about that throughout the teaching today. Jesus here having this moment with the guys. Like, guys. You, God's revealed this to you? Are you for real? He's hidden this stuff from the wise guys, the prudent, the know-it-alls. They don't know it. Kings and prophets have tried to figure this out. And Jesus says, you guys get it. And he's tripping. He's tripping. You get it? You see? You know how many people didn't see Jesus walking around doing what he did? People are like, whatever, dude. Whatever, dude. Go right back to reading the scriptures some would do. It says in the book of John that people search the scriptures thinking that they had eternal life in them, but these are they which speak of me, Jesus would say. And Jesus here is freaking out that some people get it. And he just, he stops the presses. He has a holy, a holy moment. Okay, he's journeying on the way to Jerusalem. It's not going to end well. Less than a year, blood everywhere. Torment and torture. Gruesome and gory. It's bad news. And Jesus says, you guys know I know what's really going on? <laughs> everything the kings wanted, everything the prophets searched for, it's right here. It's me. And you get it. And that's what brought him great joy. Not his circumstances. I'll talk about that in a minute. Not the power that they had and we have as well. That wasn't what provoked Jesus. It was the simplicity of who he is and the family of God and then the family in, in heaven, that our names are written there. Now, all the stuff that was happening down there could lead to happiness, okay? 
things that happen that are good are usually indicative of happiness until things that happen are bad. And then my happiness is gone. Like when the Vikings lose. Shame on you if you know what I mean. I'm just and the Lord says, no, no, no. It's not about your circumstances. So each and every one of us here today have some circumstances we're going through. You might be here today just slaying it. Been an Eagles fan your whole life, whatever. It's the last joke, I promise. You might be here, have everything's going great for you. Okay? And the Lord would say, where's your joy? Where's it resting in? Oh, I got, the demons are subject to me is what they said. He said, no, no, that's cool. Don't rejoice in that. That's re I get it. Woo, I get it. Get one, two, that's it. That's it. Or, or you might be here this morning and, and, and things aren't going great for you. The doctor reports aren't what you wanted. The money's not enough. The relationship failed. The, the pain is real. And yet you too can rejoice in the spirit. You too can say, you know what? I'm good because the father has been revealed to me through the son. And I have access now to my home. I have access now to my heavenly father, the one who loves me, the, the one who cares for me. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we prepare to study through this portion. Father, in Jesus' name, we surrender to you. We, Lord, want to be like those babes, those kiddos with not childish faith, Lord, but childlike faith with a faith, Lord, that is like a kiddo's, that would just believe what they're told, that their parents say, this is how it is, this is what, what's true and what's not true. And most kids just say, oh, all right, I, I trust you. And so, Lord, give us that childlike faith today. I pray, Lord, for help in teaching this, Lord, that it would be glory to you and enjoyable in heaven, that as you said in First Peter, that the angels desire to look into these things, that the angels would learn something today as they're looking in and listening. And we too, Lord, as pilgrims and sojourners would listen and learn and that it would be undeniable, Lord, that you are in our lives. That it would be noticeable in all that we do, all that we say, all that we think. Holy Spirit, thank you that the resources of heaven are not limited. And so we ask for an outpouring now. Heal minds and hearts. Lord, while we're in prayer, we pray for our community. Those that are in church right now, bless them. Bless the other churches in Jesus' name. Lord, bless those who are not in church today. They're just, they're not there yet. Bless them. May we, Lord, take the church to them and our businesses and our relationships this week. And Lord, we pray for our fishing community, both here in Alaska. And we ask, Lord, a blessing, a protection, a provision, Lord, a power, just safety. As Simon mentioned to me in that text, there's a great conversation going on in Alaska. There are seasoned captains that are open to conversating about God. There's a revival even happening up there with faithful men who have taken the gospel there to fish. And I pray you bless them and trigger them, Lord, to share, to pray for each other. Just bless those crews and captains. Bless the boats, Lord. Cal calm the seas, we pray in Jesus' name. Just calm them down. Give up the fish and the crab for us, too. We just love you, God. Do the same here in Newport. We thank you for our community. We thank you for this time we get together now. Help us, Holy Spirit, we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen and amen. Here's a question for you. How's your, how's your joy? Is it, does it ebb and flow? Does it go up and down? M most of us it does, okay? It's called decaf and caffeinated, okay? Just go up and down, you know? It's just, it's just you know, it's all, or my joy goes up and down, and that's I've been making the distinction, though, between happiness and joy. There's two differences. Happiness is based on what's happening. 
okay, where I find something happening great and it makes me happy. Joy, though, is more steadfast. It's kind of like your heartbeat. Okay, your heartbeat just is steadfast. Your words are not. Your words come and go. You can stop talking or start talking or whatever. Your heart just kind of, if you ever watch it, it's like, oh, look at that. It's beating there on the machine. I don't even know. Your joy is supposed to be like that. It's just kind of the joy of the Lord. And I say that to say this because you guys don't know this necessarily, but Jesus is in the business of joy. Okay? He loves joy. He wants you and I to be filled with joy. As a matter of fact, the psalmist says it this way in verse, six, or verse 11 of chapter 16. In his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Nehemiah 8.10, Nehemiah was praying this way. He said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. They were feeling weak at that moment. They didn't have enough. They were feeling bummed, actually. They were crying. He said, no, what are you crying about? The joy of the Lord is your strength. God has so much joy, so much happiness, so much love, so much fullness all the time. Here's my question. How's that going in your life? Do people often ask you if you're high? Like, are you on something? You're so full of joy. Are you, do you seriously, do you take drugs? Like, what's wrong with you? You ever been asked that before? I've been asked that before not funny <laughs> i've been asked that before i was working at a coffee house one time i was so fired up man on the lord and these two gals i've told this story so i'll just sim- summarize it and they said what do you have this morning i'll take whatever you got and i said you know what i got i got jesus and they said we'll just take a bagel we're all you know i don't whatever <laughs> never mind you know i was like oh, okay you asked you know i'm not kidding i'm f- fired up do people ask you what do you got with that joy if i want to help you to see why that joy may or may not be evidenced in your life why it's not noticeable. What's, what's the problem? What's going on here? In this portion I just read to you, there are three. There's actually four or five, but I'm only going to highlight three evidences where there is joy to be had. There's the joy of serving. These 70 return with joy. Why? Well, they just got done serving. They just got done doing something. Then we saw Jesus say, don't rejoice in that necessarily, but have joy in the fact that you're saved. There's joy in being saved. Okay, this is awesome because if you can't serve or haven't served or won't serve or whatever, if you're saved, you still got no excuse not to be joyful. Then Jesus goes on to say, rejoice that your eyes have seen. You're blessed because you've seen stuff. You might have the joy of serving. Good. You might have the joy of being saved. Good. You can also have the joy of seeing the things that God gives to you. There's joy in revelation. When you read the book and you see something new or you say, hey, Father, I'm going to listen for a second. You got a word? Go ahead and just put it here right in the cranium, right in the dome. And God gives you a word. Ah, God spoke to me. You know, joy. Here's my question. Are you full of joy or, or does it appear as if you've been baptized in pickle juice you know what i'm saying people are like you all right (laughs) what happened to you you know i got saved Uh, really yeah it's horrible you know like and again i mess with you guys i mess with myself too because every you know sometimes i just don't feel the joy i just don't why why i believe in this text jesus here on the way to die stop he pulls over hey guys guys this is crazy 70 go out and do some stuff Waits for them to come back. They come back. They've done some stuff now. He hears their story. They're full of joy. He says, let me tell you, you want that? You think that's joy? Let me tell you joy. Then he goes onto his knees and he prays some more. Let me tell you real joy. It's right here, right here in this text. I love joy. I love to feel good. I love to be full. And all of that comes from God. Now, last week I taught you guys the acronym. Most of you already knew it. Some of you did not. Apparently I got some texts or emails. I saw some stuff on Facebook. Joy, uh, the best acronym is Jesus. Serve him first. And then some others. Okay, go, go right to others. Don't go to yourself. Go to others. Put yourself last. If you, if you decide to do that, just try it. Try it like at the Starbucks line. Just try it somewhere. Try it at the store. Try it wherever you go. Joy. 
Try your at your home. And here's the deal. When you return, or when you do what Jesus said to do, you will return with joy. Look at verse 17 again. It says, then the 70 returned with joy. We're talking about joy here. This is what they came back with. This is the joy of serving, and that's exactly where they returned from, okay? Fulfilling Jesus' mission for their life. And I keep saying the word mission. Some people have a disconnect. They don't understand what that means. Let me use a different word that most of us do. They're fulfilling Jesus' meaning for their lives. See, each and every one of us strive and need and look for meaning within our lives. I just want to have meaning. Some sort of meaning, even if it's momentary meaning, you know, just momentary, like you're just, you're, you're needed in that moment. We, we all have to be appreciated. We all have to, to look forward to something. We all have to have stuff. When you book an airline ticket for a vacation, all of a sudden now August has meaning to you. You know, like, I can't wait till August. Everything's kind of going on that. There's meaning. Or when you fill that cart, you know, on online shopping and hit send at amazon.com, and now there's meaning to your life because it's prime shipping and in two days you're going to have all your junk you just ordered. And all. There's meaning. And we go after meaning. And if I just get this one deal, oh man, it's going to have meaning and if i go to this one event and this experience and there's life is full of things that we fill in the blank that give us meaning okay here's the deal i just want to let you know this that's how it's meant to be god god made us like that but there are ways that that can become abusive that we can find meaning in lesser things or other things ungodly things and forget that our basic and most needed meaning is in the mission of jesus your meaning i was talking to some friends over here on my left right before the service we're talking about fulfilling God's will for our lives. What does God want to do? What does God want to do for you? And I've lived my life at times doing my thing. I'm going to do my thing for a minute. And the Lord's like, really? Can I film it? <laughs> Can we get YouTube over there? It's going to be a fail reel. It's going to be great, you know. Fail blog. Luke Frechette's doing his own thing. And we've all done that. And then you come back and say, Lord, enough. Enough of my rebellious, sinful nature. Lord, what is your will for my life? And Jesus says, that's A, the right thing to do. B, you ready for some joy? Are you ready for some joy? Here's the, so meaning is built into our DNA. The problem is that most of us are naturally selfish, lazy, and sinful. Raise your hand if you're naturally selfish, lazy, and sinful. Okay? Half of you. <laughs> the other half are lazy, selfish, sinful, and liars. Okay? So... <laughs> Welcome to church. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Love you guys. My hand was up for all that. My hand was, my, both my hands are up. So, so God made us, though. He made you and me to serve and to do things for his glory and others' good, which leads to our joy. I've seen this. You've seen this. It's crazy. We're so self. We'll see it for a minute and we'll experience this joy and then we'll pull back. But I can't afford to do that again. I can't love that person again. I can't forgive again. Even though there was such bliss and ecstasy and that one time I did that. But I can't keep giving. Why not? The last time you gave, you got gave back to you. It was crazy. I remember one time a friend of mine went to Mexico to serve. He went to a mission down there just to serve, not to learn, not to get. He went down there because there was a need. And when he went down there, I remember when he came back because he came up the stairs at the upper room coffee house and bookstore and I saw his face and I was like, that guy's different. He'd been down there for three weeks serving adult, handicapped, Hispanic orphans, okay, ministering to them, changing adult male diapers, okay, for weeks because they needed to be changed. If he didn't go down there, they wouldn't get changed. He's like, oh, can I fly down there? Yeah, you got to buy a ticket. Okay. How much, how much does it cost to go down there? Thousands of dollars. Sweet, I'll be right there. And when he came back, I remember seeing his face. I was like, dude, you're different. Here's the cool thing about this guy. He was kind of annoying before he went down. I'll be honest. 
kind of a talk a lot, know it all, kind of just, you know, kind of just, eh, this is that guy. I'm not going to mention his name, okay? Anyways. And he came back. You know what? He was, he, was, he was changed. He was full of joy. The thing I remember the most was the smile on his face and the quietness to his lips. He just listened. Remember, he, he sat down on the couch and just listened. I was like, dude, this is so weird. You usually just over-talk everybody, man. You're like, you're crazy, but you're different. How did that happen? Where did this joy come from? Doing something for Jesus. Finding meaning in fulfilling God's will for the mission of Jesus. This is what happens. I remember one time, and I don't have too, too, too long to tell too many stories. One time in 2008, I got a phone call. Hey, Luke, would you be the keynote speaker at the Good Tidings Bible Camp out here in upstate Albany, New York? Would you come out here and do that? Oh, no way. Prayed about it. Noah, my oldest, my 10-year-old, was about one, and we're at that time where I could probably get away, and nobody would freak out at the house. And I was like, can I do this? And I decided to do it, and I began to play, pray and anticipate. And my camp experience as a kid was going to the Camp Crestview here in Oregon up there to the Foursquare Camp, and I remember there was like hundreds and hundreds of kids. It was just this wild time. I'm like, I'm going to go to this camp in New York. This is amazing. Right about a week before the camp, I called the director. I was like, how's, how's the preparations going? Because I'm all fired up. They're going great. It's awesome. It's cool. Hey, by the way, how many campers are signed up this year? Oh, we've got 17. But three don't know if they could make it, so that's like, you know, 14 or whatever. I'm like, perfect, you know. And I just start to think, what the world? Am I flying to New York to minister to forts for a week? Sessions in the morning, noon, and night. Like, this is 15 teachings. And I was like, all right, I'm fired up, you know. I didn't know what to do. I, I, I shared that. Because of what God did when I got there. And to this day, that experience at that camp with those 14 kids, okay, and, and the staffers, was one of the most powerful, epic, I can't give you all the stories, one of the most transformational times of my life. Just say, okay, Lord, this is what I'm doing. It doesn't, it, uh, okay, okay, ooh, uh, I probably wouldn't have signed up knowing that just because it's a lot of effort for, for that. And the Lord says, hey, don't question what I'm doing. I'll, I'll just tell one. I remember flying home, getting on the plane. God had done miracles over there. It was crazy. Miracles. Still to this day, I just sit there and say, did that really happen? Did that really happen? Because I was there. Did that really happen? And as I flew home, I remember sitting there on the airplane, looking out the window with tears flowing just freely. The whole flight home. All the whole flight home, just crying. Just weeping with joy. Joy. I was so full of joy, I couldn't even believe it. When they handed me a check to reimburse me for the plane ticket that I'd purchased, and I don't even think they, they paid me, just, just that. I took the check there, and I said, I ripped it up. I said, you don't even need to do that. I don't, this is, this is the Lord's. That experience is one of many that the Lord would say, hey, what do you want, you want, you want to go to Mexico? You want to do something? Okay, Mexico and New York, those are big deals. Like, you're not going to maybe do that, but just settling into this idea this morning. Where's my joy? Do I have joy? Because the world is shoving an agenda down your throat of consumerism and selfishness and more and smallness, and all this crazy stuff. You just need to time out. What's, what's really going on? When you look into the Word and say, Lord, what am I, how generous should I be? How, how willing should I be? How, what is going on in my heart? The Bible says to guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. And Jesus pulls these cats aside. How was the trip, dudes? Tears flowing down their cheeks. It was crazy. It was crazy. There's, the demons are subject to us in your name. There's things happening out there, man. Now, we went over this last week. I'm so good at teaching sermons twice, aren't I? Pretty good. I can teach it last week and this week. It's just something I do real good. Sorry about that. Not sorry. So we, all, we went over this. 
Okay, we need to be reminded over and over again, though, to get out there and serve. You've heard the sayings before. The importance is, is to get the salt out of the shaker, you know, with the salt of the world, salt of the earth. Here's my question, though. What are you supposed to be doing right now? And I asked this last week as well. I, I believe for some of you it's simple. Like, you, you know, you're just in an argument with the Lord. That's fine. Some of you, you're starting to sweat a little bit. You're like, I don't know what to do, dude. Like, why are you making me feel bad? The Lord will show you. You put your antenna up. What am I supposed to do? It might not, it'll be so small. It'll be so just, just forgive that person. Say, say hello to that person. Send a note to that person. Go to the jail and visit somebody. Do something. Go do something. Go walk the docks and just pray for the boats. Get involved. Call your grandma. Call your grandkids. Call somebody. It'll be very simple. So here's just a few thoughts, and I'll miss you. So I want the Holy Spirit to touch you. What are you supposed to be doing right now? Maybe you're supposed to be more of a leader at your home. You, you, know, you know it. You're supposed to be leading your spouse in prayer and Bible study and spiritual conversation. You're supposed to just, you know, volunteer to do that, whoever you are. You might say, well, I don't have the resources. I, I, I can't do that. I don't know what that's going to be like. Listen, maybe you're supposed to be discipling your kids in the word and in prayer, things of God. You, you know that. And maybe you're sitting here and maybe like me, your, your kids are dressed and fed and they have a roof over their head. Okay, there's... You kind of like, you're, and at that point, you're tired. Anybody get tired at that point? You're like, oh, man, that took a lot of effort, you know? Hey, kids, you all there? All right, they're all still here. Woo, you know. Let me know if anybody disappears, you know. <laughs> Call somebody. The Lord says, no, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to go, go next level. I want, you to, I want you to reach out. I want you to open up your, your heart. I got these three little kids. Every single day, they come down the stairs. You know, my kids would take as much as I give them. You get, all your parents are like, yeah, we know. They're like, wild vultures but if, you, if i said hey kids we're gonna read a book we're gonna read a bible book right now <laughs> kids everywhere all right read it to us dad hey, hey kids we're gonna do this we're gonna pray we're gonna go visit hey kids want to go to the hospital and visit people yeah dad we love you whatever they'll take as much as i give them the people in your family will take as much as you give them the problem is is we are, we're resourced we're, we're limited aren't we? we we think i can't keep giving i need to I need some facebook time man i just gotta veg i just gotta do my own thing oh is there joy there no <laughs> Well, I'm going to go look for it real hard. <laughs> Four hours later, I didn't find any. It's crazy. <laughs> Maybe it's the kids at home. Maybe it's serving your, your peers at work or at school. Just showing up. I love this. Just showing up. This is my mission field. Oregon Coast Community College. Okay, New, Newport High, the middle school, Sam Case. The jail. Where, where do you work? Earlier this week, I was asked to go to the Walport Library. So a couple messages. Can you come here? Can you just come and pray and just see what's going on? Uh, oh, okay. So I drove to the Newport or Walport Library. Never been there in my life. Confession number one. <coughs> Had to Google it. Found it. It's right there. It's right, right there. And I walked in there, and the librarian is working there, Sharon McCrum, and the, her manager. And she says, "I just want to give you a tour. This is this is the hub of Walport. Okay, it's a community center. It's and it's it's got a lot of problems. There's there's a lot of people. There's ingress and egress. There's there's stuff. There's a lot of stuff. I just want you to, you know, I just want you to know. This is, and she's, this is my mission field. This is why I'm not involved heavily at the church. I go here, I give, I serve. My, her husband's on stage playing the banjo. Banjo? Mandolin. And it was so cool. She's like, this is where, this, these are my people. And I was like, <laughs> I was so stoked. I was like, this is so legit. These people need you. And I gave her some tips on how to, like, make it safer for the community and some thoughts and just some ideas and prayer cover. But she knew that this is where I serve. This is my place to love, to bring Christ. Maybe 
your joy is lacking because you haven't surrendered your influence at work or with your peers to God's purposes? How does he want to serve through you? Maybe it's something more specific. Maybe it is showing up to celebrate recovery or Sunday school or joining a life group. Maybe it's going on a mission trip to Lebanon or getting involved at least. I don't know what it is. Okay, I just need you guys to, to really get this though. And I, for, for, by God's grace, filled with joy even just this morning, just thanking the Lord for the redemption that he allows for us. Say, hey, would, hey, enough blowing it. Enough doing it your own way. Just come on in. Come on in to my will for your life. What I want to do in Florence and in yachts and wherever I take you. These guys showed up. Jesus is in the business of joy. And when they returned, they told him even the demons are subject to us and they were fired up about that. You should be too, by the way, okay? Just so you know, Christians, don't be afraid of the devil. Okay, he's afraid of you. Don't go picking fights with him, that's dumb. Okay, as a matter of fact, Jesus would say, don't, be, don't rejoice in the fact that the demons and the spirits are subject to you, but instead rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There are some churches and some denominations and some peoples that would rather be demon hunters than soul savers. Okay, it just it feels exciting. Yeah, let's go hunt some demons, yeah, demon slayer, yeah, you know. I'm like, ah, you know, listen, n prioritize. Jesus says, that's fine, you can be a demon slayer, but don't even worry about it. Instead, be a soul saver. Let that, let that be what motivates you, what fires you up. You have power over the devil, okay? The, the demons flee. This is so good, and I can't build the story up like I've done in the past, but one time I knew of this man named Marty. Not Pastor Marty, but a different Marty. An old dude. And he said, hey, Luke, I learned some Aikido moves today. No one can escape, or I can escape from anyone's grasp. No matter who grabs me, I can get away. I was like, really? He said, yeah, try it out. And so he asked me to grab him. And so I grabbed this old man. I'm a wrestler. I was about 19 years old. And I grabbed him. And we began to fight and struggle. And he thought he was going to get free because he had this, you know, white belt on or this uh, keto suit, you know. And, he had, and eventually, I wasn't going to let him go. I had too much pride. <laughs> I didn't know how the game worked at that time. You know, I should have let, let him go. Should have let him go. And when he was finally frustrated and tired, he said, okay, uh, apparently I don't know what I'm doing. So, would you let go now? And you know what I did? I let go. The struggle was over. He's free. My dad was watching during that event, and the Lord spoke to him about the principle of spiritual warfare. You don't have to struggle and fight and get crazy against the devil. You have been given authority over the devil. When you ask the devil to leave in Jesus' name, struggle's over. You just have to a just ask him to leave. You don't need to get all fired up. You ever tried to chase darkness out of a room? Bring... Bring a bucket in and start grabbing darkness and throwing it outside, just <laughs> scooping it up. No, no, you turn the, the, the light is more powerful than the darkness. Flip the light on and the darkness flees. As Christians, this is a principle. Somebody needs to think about this. If you're tormented or overwhelmed, no, that's a lie. Just ask the devils and the demons in your life, the accusers, the liars, the oppressors. If they show up, and they will show up, okay? They will. Don't be deceived. When they do, ask them to leave. In Jesus' name. Somebody else needs prayer. I just feel conflicted. And, you know, okay, let's pray. Let's pray. And even in, in a sense, addressing those demons in Jesus' name simply. Any darkness in here, any demons, any, any powers of the devil, 
Okay? We're going to ask you to leave now in Jesus' name. You have to go. Bye. And then invite the Holy Spirit to take residence there. It's that simple. The power is yours. And let me just, I said this last week. You know, there's three things about demons I want to bring up. Number one, okay, demons and devils and Satan are real. And his biggest lie that he's told to people over the years, even Christians, is that he doesn't exist. And if you don't think your enemy even exists, he's already won. Okay, if you have somebody after you that you don't think is there, <laughs> the footholds are amazing. So if you're sitting here to think, I don't know if Satan's real. It's just kind of, I think it's, you know, uh, maybe uh, poetic or it's made up. Why would you think that? Why in the world would you not realize your enemy of your soul? The Bible speaks of Satan, his origins, his falling, his current judgment and his future judgment. God, is in, God has this thing all figured out. You can study it through. It's all there. The world is evidenced of his satanic behavior, his pain and destruction all over. So, so the first thing about demons is bad news. He's real, okay? He's real. And if you believe in Jesus, if you love Jesus, by the way, if you're looking for biblical context or some sort of understanding, Jesus referenced Satan as a real person, demons as real entities. Jesus also referenced, just so you know, biblically, a lot of, a lot of Christians with, with immature roots, they don't believe everything the Bible says to be true. It's immature. They don't believe in the, the story of Noah or, or original creation, Adam and Eve, or, or Jonah and the whale being swallowed. Those three, Jesus referenced as specific and actual and factual. That actually, those all happen, like the Bible said, just in case you want to be a Bible student. And, well, I, don't, I think I might know a little bit more than Jesus. We have DNA testing, uh, you know, carbon fiber, whatever it's called, you know. I don't know, what, what's it called? Carbon dating, thank you which is all over the place, by the way. Anyways, number one, bad news, demons in, are real. Number two, that demons, Satan himself specifically, has launched a war and a rebellion against God and therefore against you. That's another truth, okay? That's another bad news. He is a defeated foe, but he still has much damage ensuing from his life. Satan doesn't have good days. You know, I'm just going to take a day off. I've been wrecking havoc there at South Beach for a while. I'm going to give them a weekend off. It is a holiday. It's Halloween. I think I'll just back off, you know. He doesn't do that. He's real, and he's at war. He's kind of like the guy that got pushed into the swimming pool. It's over. And as he's going into the pool, he's going to take as many victims as he can with him. Not going to save him. Satan will not be saved. He won't repent. It's not, not part of the story, not part of his DNA. And he wants to kill and to steal and to destroy as many people as he can in order to hurt that which God loves. That's you and me. Here's the third thing about the devil. He's been defeated and dethroned, defanged, and he is one day going to be a goner. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Noah, my son, 10-year-old theologian, yesterday driving in the car, I was explaining this to him that Jesus saw Satan fall. Most believe this happened between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, kind of in the creation story. Some even believe it happened before Genesis verse 1, in, in ancient of days. So Noah quickly said, well, if the earth didn't exist when Satan fell, where did he fall to? You know, you know, you know. <laughs> like, right on, you want my job? You're after my job, son. You're after my job, son, you know. And here's the deal. Did you know that hell was created for demons and Satan, primarily, not for humans? It was created to punish the rebellious angels. That's where he got cast down to the abyss, to hell, okay, where he now goes back and forth from. 
tormenting souls. Hell was never intended for humans. But Satan is so tricky that he has tricked humans over the years to become rebels, soldiers against the Lord. You need to know the good news, though. Jesus says his days are numbered. As a matter of fact, the degrees of fall that are seen in the scriptures are that from heaven and glory to the profane, the demean, the, where he is now. And even from there, this access he had to heaven in Job chapter 1 and Jeremiah chapter one, and there's these access, he doesn't have that anymore. He's fallen even further. Revelation has two more falls detailed. One to the pit for a thousand years where he'll be chained up. And then one in Revelation 20 where he'll be put into the lake of fire forever. Okay? This is important that you get this. Your foe, the one who's after you, he's been defanged, dethroned. He's done for. The battle still rages right now, but we do not fight for victory as much as we fight from it. These guys return with that that good news. Look at verse 19. He says, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Again, I don't think this is amphi- you know, s- snakes and, and bugs as much as it is the demons and the warfare that they bring. He does say in verse 19, And over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, evidently, Jesus was wrong when he said this because all these men would die, painful deaths, lit on fire pulled in half, sawn in two, fed to lions. Evidently he was wrong. Or he meant something different than what we think. Hey guys, you have power over the devil. Serpents and scorpions and nothing's going to hurt you. We're going to be burned at the stake, I know. Next verse, rejoice. Your names are written in heaven. That when those spikes are going into your hands because they'll be crucified too. That when those flames crawl up your body, because they would be burned, that when those pains are experienced, it won't hurt you. When death swallows you up, Christian, it has nothing on you. There is no fear in death. No fear in death. The pain has been removed. And when Jesus says what he says to them, you need to settle in and think that through because there is within each and every one of us a fear of many things. And Jesus said, hey, you're, you're a Christian? You got power over it all. Nothing's gonna hurt you. When you get that illness, when you suffer that loss, Jesus says, look, look past it. Look past it. This isn't the end for you. This is not where it ends for you. Nothing shall hurt you. Have you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? You can Google it, order it, Amazon.com. And it details the first century, third century, fourth century, and even beyond martyrs and their gruesome sacrifice for their faith in Jesus. And the testimony over testimony over testimony is even in the pains of flames, the joy of the Lord was their strength. Most of us aren't going to get burned at the stake. But each and every one of us will suffer pain and death the question is is what what lens will you look at that through jesus said nothing will hurt me okay well this is hurting in in a sense but not in the ultimate sense i can suffer well i can suffer to the glory of god i can endure loss and pain and illness and setback and battle to the glory of god for he has given me victory over sin and death 
You've got to look at it the way Jesus would look at it in your situation. It'll change your joy. Verse 20, we spoke on this last week. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I had you do the exercise last week. If you didn't do it, do it this week. In your journal or in your Bible, just write, my name is written in heaven. Consider who you are. And consider your legacy being eternal in heaven. You're one of the saints. You'll be there. Your name's there. You ever been in somebody's house or an event or a building where you, you know you're not supposed to be there? <laughs> Called trespassing. You're like, dude, this is crazy. I shouldn't be here. You should be in heaven. You're okay. Your name's there. You're, you're one. Get that vision in your mind. Don't be undersold. Jesus, as a matter of fact, Jesus has rejoiced in that. Your, your situation might change. Your happiness will ebb and flow. Jesus says rejoice. Then in verse 21 through 24, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit. and He said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Jesus now is talking about the joy of revelation, the joy of seeing, the joy of understanding. And this is what causes him to rejoice as he sees this unfold on his way to die. Notice it says he rejoices in the Spirit, not in his circumstances. Did you know you can do this too, each and every one of us? If it was up to your circumstances to cause joy, it would be far and few between and oftentimes seldom. Just wait until the sun comes out here in Newport. <laughs> Forever, you know. <laughs> or, or you can be like Jesus and rejoice in the spirit. There were so many reasons why Jesus shouldn't rejoice. Like I said, he's on his way to Jerusalem to die. He's going to be scrutinized. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be abandoned. He's going to be brutalized. He's going to be killed. He's going to be hung. He's going to be buried. All of that's happening next. And what's Jesus doing? Freaking out. The only time in the whole scriptures where he rejoices, at least recorded. We know he was a happy man. We know that this was happening all the time. Luke writes it though, right here. This is when he rejoiced. And he said, Father, thank you for revealing it to these babes. And can I just say something about childlike faith? It's necessary. John 6, 68, my favorite verse in all the Bible, leads to John 6, 69. And in John 6, 69, Peter says this, after my favorite Bible verse, you can read on your own time. Verse 69, though, he says this, and we have both come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Notice the order. We have come to believe and know. The world says, once I know, then I'll believe. Jesus says, no, no, believe first, then you'll know. You believe. You believe what I said. It's right here, y'all. The declaration's pretty clear. The story, well, there it is. Well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, then you won't. Well, I want to. No, you don't. It's right here. Well, as soon as he proves it to me, here it is, it's right here. Read a book. It's crazy. People are like, well, I need some evidence. That's right there. Study it out. I would say this. For the critic, the non-believer, the rejecter, the rebel, no amount of evidence will suffice. Ever. Because it's already been proven. Well, uh, maybe God needed to prove himself by showing up in the, in the form of a man. You know, I need to see signs and wonders in the sky. Maybe, a, you know, a full eclipse in my lifetime. You know, it doesn't matter. 
If you don't want to believe, you won't believe. It's just the way it is. Let me say it again. To the critic, the skeptic, no amount of evidence will suffice. You, it doesn't matter. But to the believer, to the believer, no amount of evidence is even required. Whenever those new articles come up, oh, we found a new piece of pottery in Israel. It proves that King Solomon loved bagels. You know, I'm like, I don't, I don't care. I'm, I, don't, I don't care about those things. I don't care about that evidence that has been resurfaced. I don't, I don't need it. My faith has already been established. My, my faith has already grown. God's already given it to me. How? Childlike faith. I tell my kids I love them all the time. You know what they don't say? Prove it. <laughs> Prove it, Dad. They know I love them. And, and I show the love to them. We enjoy that. My kids, kids are awesome. You know that some kids actually believe in crazy stuff? The crazy stuff, like monsters under their bed. You know, they're just like, well, you know, some kids believe in Santa Claus, you know, or the Tooth Fairy or whatever. They believe. And God says, yeah, that kind of belief, I'm going to give you my word. It's, it's, and if you are a thinker, critic, you know, there's plenty of evidence for you, okay? God does not ask us to check our brains at the door and become robots, nonsensical. He says, no, I want you to be all engaged. But I will reveal these to those who have simple heart, childlike, not childish faith, childlike faith. God says it. I believe it. That settles it. Guess what's going to happen to you if you do that? Joy. And as George just said, it'll be evidence in your heart. You'll know. You'll know. And, and George has this conversation with all of his friends all the time. Well, how can you prove it? How can you prove it? He's like, I don't know for you. For me, it has been proven. It has been proven. It is actual and factual. Jesus is excited about that. Then he turned to his disciples and he said privately, blessed are the things which you see. Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. I'm, I'm out of time, but I just want you to see this, this picture. And we're going to start here <laughs> next week. Right around verse 24. Because <laughs> I got... 25 more points I want to roll through, but I don't have time. Jesus is freaking out. And he stops privately. He's like, guys, come here. Come here. Come here. And he brings him in. It's almost like a coach with the, the team. And he looks at him. And I, I coach little teams. I coach four and six-year-old soccer. They don't even have brains yet. <laughs> and, and you call them in. You're like, all right, guys, I'm going to tell you something. You look at their eyes. And you realize that they don't even know they're soccer players. <laughs> they don't even know. You, you, you look deeper into their eyes and you realize that everything they see is actually Play-Doh and like, you know, three-dimensional and there's Gumby and there's, you know, starch. It's like, okay, oh, oh, okay. And Jesus looks at these boys. He's like, you guys don't understand how blessed you are. And like, what do you mean? He's like, prophets, they wanted to be where you are. Kings have wanted what you guys have. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Everybody's been waiting for this. Every single person. Jesus is so fired up. He has a little holy heart. He says, guys, what, do you, what in the world? Do you see this? When it said that there would be a little town of Bethlehem, and when it said that a virgin would have a baby, that's me. You guys see it. You guys see this. Everyone's been looking into this. And I would say that to say this. I've got 10 questions to ask you how your joy is. That's next week. I'll just end though. How's your joy? Your joy where's your joy established in right now? 
Do you see the things that Jesus sees? The answer for most of you is yes, you do, but you've, you, you've forgotten maybe. What we have been seeing here at South Beach Church, I'm going to have the worship team come up and join us. What we've been seeing here, just, just us, and we're nothing, as God has been changing lives. People are getting baptized in the ocean for years now, by the hundreds, every year, hundreds of people getting baptized. Marriages being healed, lives being saved. People getting sober and quitting drugs and reaching out to their drug friends saying, get sober, quit drugs for Jesus, come do this. Things are happening right now, and I'll tell you what, from time to time, I just, I miss it, I forget, I just, ah, I just look like I've been baptized in pickle juice again. And hear Jesus, just pause and just think. Jesus says, you're gonna be blessed if you serve. So that's just the way it works, that's how it works. You're gonna be blessed if you focus on the fact that you're saved. What, what, what are you focusing on? Well, my mortgage is too much, or my, this is too little, or this is too blah. Well, I get it. I get all that too. But my name's written in heaven. And have you seen the things of the scriptures? Has Jesus revealed that to you? Don't miss it. The devil would love for you to just get busy and weird and, oh yeah, I go to South Beach Church. I've been going there, you know, for six or seven years. It's been pretty cool. It's, you know, I've seen hundreds and thousands of people come to know Jesus. And it's just, yeah, I guess it's all right. I got a hoodie or two. I don't wear them anymore, but I got a hoodie, you know. So, what? Rejoice. Rejoice. Don't miss next week. Or any week. We talk about, where's my joy? What's, what's stopping it? Maybe it's, maybe, maybe it's my belief. Maybe it's, maybe it's my participation. Maybe it's whatever it is. But I'm going to tell you right now. Here's the deal. You want joy today? Jesus said, don't rejoice that you have power over the spirits, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Don't rejoice in what you can do, but rejoice in what I've done. This is why we take communion every day, every single Sunday. Okay, it's not really for you. It's for him. So we can remember what he did. It's not so you can get forgiven again. It's so you can remind yourself, oh yeah, I'm still forgiven. Crazy. <laughs> and you come to the table, you're like, the juice, his blood. The, the cracker is his body. I'm good because he is good. I've been forgiven. And now I can be filled with joy. And I pray, God, that you would bless this time. Bow your heads and pray with me. I pray, God, you would bless this time as we come to the table of communion, as we celebrate what you've done for us, as we put our heads back and realize, Lord, that you have forgiven us of all of our sins and given to us your body broken to restore ours, which is equally broken by sin and now restored through your wholeness. We love you, Jesus. May your joy be ours. May we not neglect it. May we not minimize it. May we not, Lord, miss it. May every single person come to the table today and have joy in what you have done for them. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said, amen.